Hey again, Pastor Susan. Hi, Pastor Joel. Welcome to all of our Sunnyside listeners. It's great to be back again. Um, and we're coming this week with Luke 4 through 10. Luke, Luke does so much. Well, I guess Luke doesn't do it, but Jesus is like busy yeah, yes. getting to work in these chapters. Yeah, it's it's really fun to like get into those details. It's so just refreshing to be in the Gospels and see the applied work of God in our life in this practical way as, it's, as Jesus shows us, you know, such sacred presence walking in dirty shoes and all dirty feet and all walking in our world. Absolutely. And and there, there may be a little review as we think about Luke's sort of aims here uh, before we get into the chapters. I know that one of the things Luke is just deeply passionate about is is the poor and, and those people groups that may not otherwise get noticed. These are folks that Luke constantly lifts up. You'll, you'll see him in our passages here, lifting up women, lifting up Gentiles. Um, he, over and over again, he does this, a Samaritan uh, in, in, in the 10th chapter. And um, what, what else have you noticed about Luke? Or are there other things that kind of come to mind as you think of Luke? You know, I love, um, so Luke is into the chronology. He's a historian. He holds the whole picture and then just, I think, shows how the whole picture really includes how the Holy Spirit leads, leads mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. and how it is not just Jesus' work alone, but it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes, that identifies who Jesus is in our midst and that fills and sends Jesus into the world. And that's that's the busyness, right? That's the, like, that is, we are a, a people who are sent by God and we are invited to walk in the same way. Mm-hmm. And we as Presbyterians, we don't always have that relationship mm. with the Holy Spirit in the same way that mm. we have that relationship with Jesus. We are not, uh, you know, charismatic or Pentecostal in that way. Um, so we, you don't often see speaking in tongues, for example. And we've talked about this before when we were in the, the Corinthians. Um, but I, I think it can be challenging sometimes for us. It feels a little too woo-woo. Ah, right? woo-woo. That's a good word. <laughs> but it does. But, I, you know, I think, and maybe it's just like, being in ministry for a while, it I feel like the older I get, the more like per, uh, Pentecostal I become, mm-hmm. right? And that like the more that I live in life, the more I realize like there's just a lot, right? And especially if you look around our world right now and all of the um, heartbreak that is in our communities and in, mm-hmm. in the world internationally, like there is a lot to hold and to, to, to manage as we walk through life. And it, you know, I just, I need the Holy Spirit's strength and guidance mm-hmm. to walk with me. So mm-hmm. that's why I think my attention is really drawn to, um, how the Holy Spirit pours through Jesus, because I just feel aware of my limits mm-hmm. and inspired by that holy presence that God can hold me and guide me yeah. and breathe through me into these places that I don't have to do it by myself. Mm. And um, that it is this partnership with the strength of God that works through us, which leads us right into Luke 4. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, the temptation of Jesus. Um, in some ways, maybe more fun to talk about la- in our last week's reading, the birth of Jesus right. and yeah. the baptism. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I think the temptation of Jesus, I've come to love this story. Mm-hmm. I've had the occasion um, to preach on it a, f- a few times, which is really cool to preach mm-hmm. the same text several times. Yeah. And um, 
therefore I've kind of, and I feel like I've grown into it over the years and really come to appreciate that the, this desert place, mm. yes, it is a place of um, solitude. Mm. It is a place of dryness, right? But it's really, it is a place of transformation. It's a place right. of preparation. Right. It's a place where God is doing really big things and God is very present in these places. And um, it, this is a totally funny aside, but you know, I always think of when I even say the word desert, I hear my like second, third grade teachers teaching spelling and the difference between <laughs> dessert and desert is an extra S because the dessert is, um, you know, a little more lux luxurious uh -huh. than the desert places. A little sweeter. A little sweeter. That's right. Um, <laughs> But, you know, in the desert, God resides and, mm. you know, has such a, an important calling for Jesus. And so, yeah, just in the very beginning of chapter four, Jesus, first description that Luke mm -hmm. gives him, Jesus, full of the Holy yeah. Spirit, full, right. not mm -hmm. a place of limit, not a place of hunger, mm -hmm. you know, full. Right. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And isn't it neat? I mean, it, it mirrors life in so many ways where you've got these beautiful things that happen. Jesus is born. Jesus is baptized. Jesus is tempted. Like, mm. like so frequently we experience those mm -hmm. times of wilderness right on the heels of experiencing God with us, right? In, in really, you know, special ways um, where suddenly we have to wrestle with temptation and 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 i think in in uh, similar to what you were saying no nobody goes into the wilderness and comes out the same person mm. um and so whether that wilderness comes right on the heels of an experience with the divine an experience with god or whether that wilderness is something that people have to confront like the israelites did every year for 40 years mm -hmm. um you don't come out the wilderness the same person you went in, mm -hmm. even if it's, you know, just proving to yourself that mm -hmm. you can do something. Mm -hmm. Jesus knows everything. Mm -hmm. or, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of Jesus' godness Jesus left in heaven before coming down to earth. I don't know. That's a conversation for another yeah. time. But, but he, I don't think that Jesus leaves the wilderness sort of knowing that he's more fully committed to God necessarily. But I do think that he has shown to himself mm -hmm. and to the world that bring it on. That's um, right. <laughs> you know, temptation comes and uh, our great high priest is tempted just as we are, yet is without sin. I don't think I've ever heard bring it on in relation to Luke 4. So way to go, Pastor Joel. I like that. But but I think that's such a great way to look at the spiritual invitation of mm. desert places. Right? right? How do we in those moments that feel very uncomfortable and can feel very dry say, okay, God, help me to be open right. to in in to see what you're doing, to be open to see the work of God. Bring it on. Mm -hmm. Like bring on the change, bring on the transformation. I think that there's something true here also about how Jesus goes from a desert place to a place that is not itself a desert place, but to him ends up being a desert place. You know, it's, it's, it's the homecoming of the golden child, mm -hmm. all right, where, where he comes back to the synagogue in, in Nazareth and Galilee, and they're like, oh, this is Jesus. We know him. He's Joseph's boy. And then they don't welcome what he has to say. And mm -hmm. suddenly it's this place that perhaps you could – 
you would be forgiven for imagining might not be desert becomes desert. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, this sort of thing happens regularly, I think to us as we live where we change in ways, we're not the same person that we were growing up or we're not the same person that we were five years ago. And when there's the expectation that we are suddenly there's the disappointment that comes Mm -hmm. from us having done the hard work of formation. That's right. Yeah. How, um, uncomfortable it can be to change. Right. And sometimes most uncomfortable in the presence of family and friends who are expecting one thing. And when they, you know, as we share something new, when that creates, you know, whatever that creates in the other, it's hard to live into that space. Right. And it can Mm. be very lonely in Mm -hmm. that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there is, I think so much in in these chapters that is, it's hard to know where to, to to give the energy. But I, I I think that there's there's one place that that draws me in chapter six. If you don't mind, if we skip sure. there for a minute, um, uh, we're recording this on on a Wednesday, and just this morning I was at uh, our Wednesday morning Bible study, and we were looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew mm-hmm. seven, um, and I this was also I think chapter six was the reading for today, Luke Luke six, um, uh, the, the the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, how similarly Matthew and Luke capture Jesus' teaching, mm. and yet how they apply it in slightly different ways, mm. where you've got with, with Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Luke just says, blessed are you who are poor. There's mm. not the poor in that spirit, it's just poor. Right? Yeah, and, and, and Luke like recognizes that the embodied realities are not different than the spiritual Mm. realities there's something Mm. um you can't you can't pull them apart Mm. um if you're poor in spirit you're also poor in some aspect in body um and and luke also has these also in addition to the blessings the beatitudes he also has these woes um that that actually like you're there's there is both a as we talked about in in worship this last week there's both a freedom from and a freedom for um that you're pointing away from something as you're pointing towards something mm-hmm. um and and i just think luke's emphasis on like the way that those people who might otherwise be forgotten those who are poor those who are hungry those who weep um these are things that that jesus and luke seems mm-hmm. to come back to over and over again it gives hope for those of us who are actually going through like real stuff mm-hmm. in our lives right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. i love that about luke's jesus mm-hmm. yep and you know yeah and that way jesus again luke turns kind of the world upside down right to say like this the blessed are those not the ones you would expect right not the politically powerful not the strong among you or the flashy among you but mm-hmm. blessed are those who are poor, who are hunger, who are in need. Mm. Yeah. And it's convicting to me as well, right? Like in, in, in terms of the world, we are rich. Mm. Yeah, even those who are impoverished in America, we, we are deeply rich. We are full now, many of mm. us. We have full bellies. Right. Yeah. What does that mean, right? Mm. Knowing mm. that if I'm hungry, I just go to my refrigerator. And right. if I'm, you know, even if I weep, I can call a friend. Like I feel rich in companionship. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, that's the reality, which I'm grateful for. So then how do we cultivate like a poorness of spirit, mm. a, a hunger of spirit? Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm. 
That's right. And in what ways will that be balanced by an embodied poverty, an embodied hunger? Mm -hmm. Like, like, is is there a space to is, is loose Jesus? Is there a space there for fasting? Mm -hmm. um, you know, not that fasting necessarily needs to be done for food; it can be done for other things. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm curious, and I don't I don't know that you or our listeners have an answer to this. I'm I'm curious what that looks like in such. Uh, abundance as we have in the West today. Hmm. Okay, let's explore that. Oh, let's um, go. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> restate it. You're curious what it looks mm -hmm. like to to live into that in yeah. the West, right? Yeah. So, are there examples? Are there? Can you think of what is that? What is that like? Um, my family was just here this last week, um, and uh, my dad has this practice of fasting from food. And this is one of the things that that jogged my mind here on Fridays. Um, and he he'll, he'll talk about it not as like you know this is something that makes him right with God or anything, but. It, it's something where when he feels sort of the, the urge to eat, it points him toward his hunger for, for the Lord, his mm -hmm. hunger for, for, for God. And um, so it's something that for him helps him to focus his attention on that which matters. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there is an element of that where we're, we're perhaps poor in the things that the world values because we're focusing our attention on that which matters or mm -hmm. we're, we're hungry for that which matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder if there's something there. Um, but did you have something in mind as well? No, I think I just had curiosity thinking because I think that's so true and the reality of the of the luxury that we live with uh, and um, realizing that we will be accountable for it. Yeah. Um, I think I've shared with you before one of the things that stands with me and will always ring true for my seminary years was um, taught to me by our Greek teacher <laughs> of all things. It's not the Greek <laughs> language that stuck with me so much, but although I did enjoy learning Greek, but he said at the beginning of class one day, he said, you know, um, our, he said, I think our, our history will judge Christians in North America from this time period for the luxury with which we live. He said, it's so easy to look back and judge those who are sexist, those who were oppressive and enslaved mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. And we look back and say, how did that happen? It seems so obvious that that was right. the wrong moral, um, you know, moral compass how could they read the Bible and have um, lived in such a way? But I wonder today, and I feel that strongly, you know, I wonder today if history will look back and judge us as some of the richest humans in all of history. Uh, and, mm. you know, that is, we just live with it because we're used to it, because it's normative, because we expect right. it. That's and, right. Um, expect to do better than our parents and I expect my children to do better than me for the most part mm -hmm. uh, and I expect there to be comfort for them mm -hmm. in many ways discomfort in some but um, the necessities of, of life I more or less expect will be there right but that is not the reality for the mm -hmm. most of the world are those are those the old wine skins that we're trying mm. to pour the new wine into? Are we trying to baptize these sorts of behaviors mm -hmm. to make holy these sorts mm -hmm. of behaviors in ways that people will look back on and right. say, "What the heck were mm -hmm. they thinking?" Mm -hmm. That's convicting. It is. 
and I don't know that people would back on this, um, moving a little bit further into chapter six, love for enemies, mm. but I, I find that so compelling. And this is yeah. just one of those really dicey places in scripture, I think, where, um, you know, Jesus is in, in the spirit is really clever in helping to get us to focus on just the right thing that calls mm -hmm. for the radical love and hospitality of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think about examples I've seen in media because I can't say I've lived mm -hmm. them, right? But examples in media of after um, children are are murdered and seeing the mm -hmm. um, family of, of the grieved publicly, you know, offering forgiveness and apologies. And I think I can, I couldn't do it. Right. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, but I do like, I am compelled towards this kind of love that says, you know, not just when in conflict refrain from harming others, right. not just laying boundaries and saying stop, but right. really learning how to work towards mm. a work towards loving that person, praying for right. that person. Right. Um, I, I think wouldn't the world be an amazing place? Like mm. how wouldn't it be great to try that? Right. <laughs> right? Like I don't know if we've tried that in Christian history right. with with a lot of um, there are not a lot of examples where I feel like we can say that we've mm. seen that, right? Right. We we differ in theology and therefore we split. Right. Uh, and instead of making the stretching mm -hmm. the table wider mm -hmm. and and th there's there's a time and a place to say this is this is not what I believe, but then there's so many other times and places where Jesus, I mean, um, in, in the, the next chapter, in chapter seven, Jesus gets flack for this woman who's known to be sinful, right? Washing his feet and, and, and caring for him. And he, you know, calls the people who call her to task, to task, right? right. And, and, and gets after them because mm -hmm. look at, look at what she has done for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, are we going to be the the type of church, the type of believers who are going to be so fixated on our dogma mm -hmm. and, and right belief, orthodoxy, mm -hmm. that we neglect orthopraxy, right, mm -hmm. right practice of welcoming those even when they have a different theology than we do, praying mm -hmm. for those even who are enemies? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, yeah, Luke, as you mentioned, like Luke seems to really... Um, put emphasis on these stories of orthopraxis, mm -hmm. right? Because even to jump all the way back to Luke 5, yeah. the healing of the paralytic, here's an example mm. where the friends love their friends so much and That's they right. hear about Jesus. And so they, they bring their friend, lowering him through the roof um, to Jesus, just setting him right there, his friend right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and sees faith. Yeah. He doesn't hear their profession of faith. He doesn't right. hear them asking even. He sees their action. Right. Um, he sees their practice. And he, he speaks aloud. Jesus says, Friends, friend, your sins are forgiven. That's right. right? And, and in the same way with the Jesus anointing, um, as he anoints the sinful woman, he says, you know, your faith has saved you. Her, he's seen her action. Hmm. He doesn't. He judges her and saying he sees faith in her practice. Right? Well, it's like uh, going back to the sermon on the plain in Luke six, where Jesus talks about how good trees don't bear bad fruit, mm. bad trees don't bear good fruit, mm. but each tree is known by its own fruit. And so, orthopraxy will always come out mm. of some sort of orthodoxy, mm. right? Practice is going to come out of right belief, right glory. Um, 
uh, even if we don't see what is right about the belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if, you know, this is, this is one of, um, I think, the, the critiques of how the church has handled, and this is going way far afield, but this is one of the critiques of how the church has handled same-sex relationships. What are the fruits? Um, the fruits have been more abuse, more mm-hmm. suicides, mm-hmm. more harm mm. um, when when we try to do you know conversion therapy and what have you and and so we can clearly see from the fruits something has gone wrong right. um, and right. so then what does that look like what does right practice look like and I think that's something that we can always ask ourselves if the fruit is bad there's something wrong about what we're doing and therefore something wrong about what we're believing And as if we didn't need more answers to things, or as if we didn't, you know, have more things without answers, Jesus then starts telling parables in chapter eight. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I love this about Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's, he doesn't make the, he doesn't make putting him in a box easy. Um, Uh, Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, it's funny, as you say that, I'm just reminded of how much in, for myself, how much I like making a to-do list, how much I like having a policy that says as clearly as possible right. exactly what is expected. Right. And that is so far afield from Jesus' life and model. Right? He told stories and mm-hmm. did not follow up. At least we're not, it does, we, we don't see how we followed up to say, did you get it? Right. Let me help you re-examine that. Let's, let me circle back and show you again what I was really trying to say, right? He lets people, he, it's, you know, he throws the seeds out, lets it sit with people, and then he keeps looking for faith, right? And naming faith as he sees it in them. Even when he explains his parables, mm-hmm. like it, there's there's still more to ask, right? There's still more to, to sort of figure, mm-hmm. tr- try to comprehend and figure mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah, Jesus is funny. <laughs> yeah, she's funny. That's great. Yeah. I think to get into the weeds a little bit with um, the healing of the demon-possessed man, mm. I, I, this story really, I find compelling. Um, you know, we don't think in the same way um, about people being demon possessed today, uh, but I can't help but see here how Jesus dignifies mm-hmm. the person right. and their their illness, their the, their struggle by saying, "What is your name?" I, I just love that Jesus calls the name forth um, in, in order to command it. It's so important to name things. Mm-hmm. As, you know, I, I know that there are way more diagnoses that parents need to keep up with these days than there have been in days past. And demons and mental health issues are, are not necessarily the same, of course, although right. I, I think that right. perhaps, you know, this, what they called a demoniac may have had some mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. But um, when I, when I hear people talking about, you know, everybody's now diagnosed ADHD or, you know, what have you, it's like, well, one of the powerful things here is that we're naming it. We're naming what what the issue is and dignifying 
the individual who struggles by naming the issue. I love how you put that. Unfortunately, we can't cast ADHD into a herd of pigs. We we don't quite have that technology yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you, by the way, um, for clarifying that. That's such an important point Mm. that, yeah, I do think that some of the um, stories that we see they may have mislabeled uh, mental illness, mm-hmm. but by no means does that equate it Absolutely. with the demon. So thanks Absolutely. for making, I think that's a really important point to make clear. So. But yeah, but Jesus, um, yeah, I love that. I just love that Jesus, again, but Jesus sees this person who'd been, as the scripture says, driven into solitary places. Yeah. Jesus is in the places, right? right. Uh, um, and then even with the, the continuing in that, chapter in the chapter eight with the um the sick woman that Mm. you know he's just so aware of the curiosity and the faith and the Mm. and even the desperation and the people that are around him right that's right you know with all the attention that he was getting he he just seems to have a radar for that right which is impressive and he could have insisted, no, I need to be somewhere else. I need mm-hmm. to go take care of Jairus's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, stopped, discussed. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love that, that you named that as a curiosity that Jesus had. I think that um, it's that same sort of curiosity that he um, sort of nourished and cultivated in those who followed him, which is one of the reasons we see Simon Peter regularly putting his foot in his mouth like he does in the Transfiguration in the next chapter. You know, let's let's build houses for you and for Moses and Elijah. It's like, okay, okay, Simon, you do that. <laughs> but, but it comes, I think, out of an eagerness and an earnestness. Mm. Um, I love that. I love that Jesus kind of takes that in his disciples and brings it forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, we also have, I, I don't want to skip over it, in, in chapter 9, the beginning of Jesus turning his face toward Jerusalem uh, shortly after predicting his death, knowing what's coming. And, and as he does this, he also commissions the disciples to go out and then commissions the 70 to go out. Jesus is intentionally, I think, you know, equipping folks, knowing where he's going and knowing what the end is, um, which again, good leadership. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I was really drawn as well to the, to the cost of following Jesus mm-hmm. and, and Luke nine. Yeah. And in part, I would just, you know, I remember seeing the song of my childhood and oh no, the, the, read the chorus is at Jesus words, you know, um, Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom mm. of God. And I heard the song, um, what is, oh my gosh, now I'm totally blanking, obviously. Was it but the no turning back? That, that's no the turning one. Back. Yeah, that's I've the, decided to that's follow it. Jesus. Have, okay, right. cool. Yes, that's the one. Mm. Nice. So yeah, I couldn't help but hearing that. But mm. um, you know, I think about how often like turning back is even a sign of affection. When you think about at, mm. you know, sad partings, it often will turn back to give an extra goodbye. Mm. And so it, it sounds, I mean, that is absolutely a cost mm. to be, to be named. And that um, when we follow, it is, 
I mean, we are called to look forward. It's so harsh. I think that Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Mm -hmm. Because even in our, you know, in our church life today, those are sacred moments where we look for God and find God. And so important um, that Jesus says, you know, don't stop there, right? Mm -hmm. Don't stop at the graveside, but go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't look back. Look, look up, look forward. I think one of the things that he charges to look forward with is to love even those enemies. Who is my neighbor? As the teacher of the law asks, well, yeah, both both you are the neighbor to the Samaritan who comes and helps you, and and also you know you are the Samaritan to the person you come and help, and that might mean you're their enemy, mm-hmm. as Jews and Samaritans were. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I love how many different dimensions, like, like a diamond, right, turning it facet by facet, mm-hmm. that parable has. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that we could get into as well. I'm conscious of, of the time that we spent with our listeners so far. Um, yeah, should we turn to our last yeah. wrap-up questions? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, the first one, what is God's good news for me in, this, in these chapters? Mm-hmm. I love the idea that even when you're in the wilderness, God is with you, right? And and God may have even sent you there. Mm. And I think there's good news to that. Yep. What about for you? I think the good news for me in these chapters is just the Holy Spirit. Just mm-hmm. that name of God, the companionship that fills, actually maybe full, full of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Maybe full is is the good news and an um, inspiration for me. Mm. What about a word from these chapters that resonates? A word that resonates. Um, can I pick two? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think blessing and parable um, both have so much richness and resonance. Mm. What about for you, Pastor Susan? See, yeah, I'm stuck between quite a few, actually. Um, I think. You know, no, both no turning back, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and I am drawn to the invitation. I think to to love my enemies and mm-hmm. to really um, move into that radical love. Yeah. I think that's a great way to live differently too. Mm-hmm. It's been fun. This has been a good conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. Thank you, Pastor Joel. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you next week. See you then.